Hi, I'm Isaac, lead pastor of New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. Well, goodness, it's awesome to be here with you guys, and um, so cool. I'm sad, though, that almost every time I come, Isaac's not here, because he's, he's a very close friend of mine, so um, I love your pastor a lot. If you have your Bible, we, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5. You guys are in, um, a, in the middle of a series that I just think is just one of the best series you could ever possibly be in. You're studying the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I love your guys' approach to, um, to it, too. You know, you took five weeks, the last five weeks you've been in this, but the first three weeks were a base camp. I just love it. How not to read the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I actually think it's brilliant to consider um, the ways in which the Sermon on the Mount could be misread or misapplied, or misused. Um, So I think that's brilliant. And in the last two weeks, you guys have spent some time looking at the Beatitudes, um, which are just some of the most powerful, remarkable, paradigm-shifting scriptures you could read. Um, I was thinking about salt and light. So as an introduction, I thought I would just tell uh, just just two really quick stories about salt, and then one one about salt and one about light. So um, when I was in high school, um, I remember doing something really stupid. Um, I was trying to impress a girl, which is typical, you know, stupid teenage male behavior, okay? Um, so I thought, how can I, how can I impress this, this young lady? And I thought, why don't I invite her to my house to bake cookies? This is romantic, you know? This is, um, yeah, like, let's bake cookies. Like, what's up, girl? You want to bake some cookies or what? And so she came over, and we, we, we baked cookies. But, you know, I wasn't very smart, and I wasn't a good baker. I'm still not a good baker. And I didn't know the difference between a teaspoon and a tablespoon, and apparently that makes a big difference. Because when I used a tablespoon for salt, the cookies looked perfect. And I remember tasting the dough. And because, you know, cookie dough is delicious. And I remember thinking, that doesn't taste right. <laughs> it's very salty. And I thought, maybe if you just bake it, then it will taste normal. I, was, I don't know. I was a moron, okay? So I baked it, and they didn't, it didn't fix it. It was, still, it was still salty. And so my grandma lived with us at the time, and so I took them to her, and I gave her the cookies because I, I wanted to see her reaction if she was a good grandma or a bad grandma. <laughs> and and, uh, and grandma, um, grandma took the cookies and I could tell she tasted the salt because she, she really like re- reacted to it. And she said, well, these, these taste close, son, grandson, you know? And um, so she's a good grandma. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm a social studies teacher, so I'm a, I teach history. So my, my next story is not a funny story. It's actually serious. Um, in uh, 1630, uh, there's a guy named John Winthrop who... Uh, was, a, was, a, was a Christian minister, and he um, was one of the founders of, um, a, he's a Puritan who came to the, to the New England area, Massachusetts, to found uh, the Plymouth Bay Colony. And um, he, on the way over, he, he gave a speech, a, a, a sermon aboard the Arbella called A Model of Christian Charity. It's a really famous speech. You can Google it if you want to. Um, and in the speech, you see uh, a lot of themes and elements. You know, one theme is American exceptionalism. Uh, one theme is a utopian sentiment that these people are going to go to um, uh, another continent to establish a permanent colony. And this time, our city, our city is going to be uh, 
perfect, the way that God wants it to be. There's a utopian element to it. Um, we know, we know utopians rare, uh, utopian movements rarely result in uto- utopia or never result in utopia. Um, there's a lot of religious emphasis and there's a lot of unity. But I did want to read one, one short quote to you from this, this speech. The model of Christian charity says this. Now, the only way to avoid a shipwreck in this new city is to provide for our posterity, our children, is to, allow, is to follow the counsel of Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. It's from Micah chapter 6. But then he says, we shall be a city upon a hill, and the eyes of all people are upon us. No doubt John Winthrop had in mind the verses that we're going to read today. He said, we're going to be a city on a hill, and people are going to be watching us. So let's read from uh, Matthew chapter 5, if we can, starting in verse 13. So Jesus says this in his most amazing inaugural message. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We say amen together. Amen, amen. All right, I want to make a few quick points. First, let's just talk about the qualities of salt. Did you know that there's a guy named Mark Kurlansky who wrote a whole book about salt isn't that weird? A whole book about salt. Did you know I own that book? Isn't that weird? Now, I haven't read that book. That would be really weird, but I have like flipped through it a couple different occasions, okay? Um, so yeah, there's this whole book by Mark Clancy about salt, and I learned a few things about salt. Okay, so some of the stuff you know, but some of the stuff you might not know. Here's some interesting stuff I learned from that book. One, is that, well, you know this one, right? Salt is used to flavor food. Everywhere you go, there's a, there's a little salt shaker. If you go out to eat, they're not gonna charge you. Like, how much extra is the salt? They're, they're like, no, you, we'll just give it to you, okay? You'll just have salt. It, fla- it enhances the flavor. Salt is also used as a preservation. You probably know this. If you like beef jerky, then you know, yes, then you know this about salt. It, it preserves. You can keep meat outside of a refrigerator and it won't go bad if it's covered in salt. So salt preserves, preserves um, uh, meats. Um, we also know, I don't know if you guys knew this, but salt is actually central in a lot of economics um, for ancient cultures. So people would actually use salt. In some cases, even they would use salt as currency. Um, they would trade um, salt. Um, another thing that was really interesting to me, I did not know this, is that biologically, did you know that you need salt to survive, that you'll die without salt? Oh, you did? Okay, you're all really smart. I didn't know that. Okay, so you need to have salt in your life. Okay, but did you know this? Did you know that your body doesn't produce salt? Oh, okay, wow. Somebody should come up and you guys should preach. To um, I didn't know this. Okay, so you, your body, this is another example of something that like your body needs that you can't fulfill on your own. It's almost like biologically we're reminded that we have needs outside of ourselves, that we are, we are dependent on stuff that is outside of ourselves. And isn't it true that one of the great myths of our culture is that we don't need nobody for no thing? 
You know what I mean? Like I can provide all of my needs. I can, I, can, I can provide all of my needs for myself. I don't need to lean on anybody else. And I love that God set our very bodies up as a reminder that you actually do need someone else. You actually can't be all by yourself. Like you actually do. And salt is one example of that. Okay, in, ja- in, in Japan, I was a Japanese major in college, been to Japan many times. They have these things called sumo, sumo uh, wrestling matches. And they use salt. Does anybody know how salt is used in a sumo match? Pop quiz. I'm a teacher. I'm giving a pop quiz. Okay, so salt is a symbol of, 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 of sacredness. Um, and in Shinto uh, religion, um, salt like wards off evil spirits. So what they do is they throw salt around to make sure the evil spirits aren't inside the sumo wrestling match. Did you know that? In fact, some, some businessmen and, J- and women in, J- in Japan will even sprinkle salt before a deal. Amazing, right? I didn't know that. Okay. Um, the Bible. Did you know that the Bible talks a lot about salt? Um, so the Bible talks a lot about salt. You have in the Old Testament the covenant of salt. It's a covenant and agreement between the Lord and David. Um, even there's a, a few places, Leviticus and, and Ezekiel, where the, the Lord instructs the people that when they bring a sacrifice to the altar, that the, that the sacrifice should be sprinkled with salt. So salt, salt actually is, is, is remarkable. And then finally, everybody likes salt, I feel like. I mean, maybe unless you like your food bland, it seems like, hey, and yeah, hey, no, no, no shame on pepper because pepper is also delicious. But salt clearly denotes, um, salt, salt denotes value, it denotes life, it denotes flavor, and it denotes uh, preservation. Um, so salt, uh, we, we may lose the symbolism and the, and, and the importance of salt, but when Jesus said that you are salt, it was significant. You know, we have these little salt shakers that are free on every single table, and so we might lose the meaning. But when Jesus said, you are salt, that had a rich, deep meaning. And Jesus says you have, that you are the light. So let's think about light. What's the darkest place you've ever been? I, I was in a cave when I was a kid, and the person who was giving us the tour of the Oregon cave, like, turned the torch off or the lantern off, and then... Have you ever been in a, like, what's the darkest place you've ever been? Like, have you been somewhere where you've, like, put your hand here and you really can't see anything at all? And you're like, are my eyes open or closed? Those are open and I still can't see. You touch yourself in the eye just to make sure. Um, yeah, so it's, like, so, so dark. Um, I, 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 uh, I, I love planet Earth. Do you guys like planet Earth? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Okay, so the, the episode of all the freaky animals that live in caves. I brought some pictures. Look at these animals. Okay. Look at these. Okay, let's put the first animal on. These are called troglobites or troglophiles or troglozines. There's three names for animals that live in troglos, which is cave. Um, and it depends on how much they like the cave. <laughs> I don't know. This is not important. But look at that freaky thing. It's got see-through skin. I'm glad that I don't have see-through skin. It'd be embarrassing if you could see like my liver and stuff. I could be like, what do you, stop looking at me. Stop looking at me. Okay, look at this guy. Look at the next guy. Here's like a scary bug, a truglobug, okay? Its, its eyes are very pronounced. And then look at this last little troglo beetle, okay? Um, those things are freaky. Look what happens when you don't see the sun. I mean, what do you look like in the morning? You, you walk in the bathroom, you turn on the light, and you're like, oh, or is that just me? I'm like, I need some sunlight in my life because that, this is not pretty, uh, you know? Like this, Chris, you told me that, that, that Isaac called you at six in the morning, and had the whole team FaceTiming you. And you were like, let me put a shirt on. Okay. You, 
you probably didn't look as bad as the beetle, but you know, I don't know what you look like that early. We know we, light, is, light is good for us. We are not healthy when we're not around light. And then if you look at symbolism, darkness represents for us, I mean, at nighttime when it's dark out, isn't that when we are at our most vulnerable? If you go back to ancient human beings, you know, nighttime can be kind of scary. Like you, you know, you like having a campfire because you can see what's around you. Maybe you feel like you might be in danger. When the, when the sun is out, you feel like you can see danger approaching, and so you feel a little bit more secure. But here we are described as lights, as lights. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the value or the meaning uh, in, this, in this section. So first, Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. This is significant. As followers of Jesus, um, he supplies us with our identity. Yeah. Everyone's trying to give you an identity. You never notice that? Like everyone's trying to give, tell you who you are and who you aren't. Well, so is Jesus. So what makes Jesus different? Well, he's a creator of the world, I think. And so when he says who we are, I feel like there's some validity and some truth in it and some wisdom in it. Some people will read this passage and they'll say, wow, this is how I think God works. You know, like think about the moon. In the middle of the night, did you guys notice a full moon? Uh, Friday night, I was running the clock at our high school's football game, and the moon was like remarkable. It's like massive, you know, and it was full moon. And I was thinking about this message. Like, some people will say the moon is a perfect example of what it means to be a Christian. Because the moon is not the source of the light. The source of the light is this glowing ball of, ga- of gas, to quote Tum- P- Pumbaa, um, billions of miles away. And, and the light hits the moon, and it illuminates the moon. And in the middle of the night, um, we can see the moon, not because the moon emanates light, but because the moon reflects the light of the sun. And when I was in high school, when I first became saved, I used to think, I used to think about this metaphor, like, you know, I'm sort of like, my life is sort of like a mirror, and I'm like sort of like t- tilted up a little bit, and like... I receive an image from the Lord, and then hopefully it bounces out to people who are around me. But what's, what's interesting, though, about these two metaphors, like the moon and the mirror image, is that that actually isn't what Jesus says here. I, I think those things are true, but what Jesus says is not that you are a reflection of the light, but did you notice that Jesus said, you are the light. You, you are the light. Like, you are you are the salt. I mean, it's amazing because you might be like me and you might be thinking, how could that possibly be? I'm like super messed up. (laughs) Like I I am super messed up. I am super short of of everything that I should be. I'm not light. I'm like a dim darkness or, you know, like I I have some dark things, you know, like I'm not salty. I'm kind of bland. I'm boring. I go to bed at like 930. Like how can I be exciting? No. Oh, early, early to bed people here. Like, like, how could it possibly be that I am light and that I am salt? But then we remember the opening of this chapter, the opening of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus finds the people who are rejected and dejected, the people who are cursed but really are blessed. And he says, look, look, the way that the natural life... You know, natural, the natural world doesn't value the same things that the kingdom of heaven values. Yeah. 
But these people who would say, you're not blessed, Jesus says, but you are blessed. And in the same way, your life isn't perfect, probably. I don't know you that well, probably, but I can tell, you know, we're all in this together. Like, your life isn't perfect, but you know what? You're still light. You're still dark. You're, you're still salt in a light of darkness. And so it's really remarkable that the Lord would invite us, even in our incompleteness, even in our weakness, to be the salt and the light. It's amazing. Another thing that's amazing to me is that salt and light are both items that you, one disperses. Have you guys ever seen the salt bay image? Let's put this guy up here. He is dispersing. You guys know who the salt bay is? I actually, I actually don't know who this person is. Rhonda brought up a, 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 a Wikipedia page with his real name on it. I, I don't think I can even attempt to pronounce it. Um, but uh, he's a famous person. He's a big chef somewhere. Um, and I think, for what, from what I can tell, is that he's famous for two things, sprinkling salt and being really attractive. Those are the two things I think, I don't know, I'm not a good judge of either one of those talents, but, um, but one sprinkle, okay, we can take him off, I'm getting distracted. Um, so, so, so one sprinkles and disperses salt and one sheds light, one, sprink, one disperses light. And um, I find that to be fascinating. And, and actually, as I was preparing this sermon, I thought about your guys' dear friend, Craig. He's, he's going on tour with, with the Post Malone, Mr. Malone. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of amazing. I heard that he was on stage on concert, at a concert last night. Is that what you said or somebody said that? Yeah, so Craig and, and, and Post just hanging out. He's like, hey, Posty. <laughs> What do, you, what do you want to do today, you know? Um, I mean, is Craig operating in, in a light and a salt-like function capacity? Yeah. I, I think he probably is, you know? Um, you know, I think about my life. You know, I'm, I'm a public school teacher, you guys. Like, think about my life. Like, seriously, come, come to my school and hang out with me for a day. Anytime, just email me. I'll set it up. You, sh- you would be shocked. Like, you would be amazed at my life. Like, at work, it's crazy. I can tell you, you know, kids are great. Kids, high school kids are really great. Don't believe anyone who tells you that they're not, because they're awesome. But I can tell you that they have, they have some challenges in their life, just like we do. And um, I can tell you that I operate in a capacity where I feel like I am at- being asked to be salt and light for my students and my coworkers at school. I'll even give you, I'll, would you guys like a couple examples? Okay, so Isaac, Isaac said, when we talked about my message, he said, what if you gave a couple examples? And I was like, easy. I have two from this week. I have one student who's missed two weeks of school. She's in one of my, um, my AP classes. Um, she's missed two weeks of school because she has been really struggling with um, thoughts of uh, harming herself physically. And um, met with parents um, and uh, been, been communicating. This girl's a great kid really great kid. And she's really feeling very anxious about a lot of things in her life. Um, and missing school is really hard for students like that, you know, a lot of students like that. And you know what a joy it was for me to tell her, I don't care about the test that you missed at all. I just care about you. And thinking right about yourself and being a healthy person, you know, it's a privilege to get to be that way. And when I say stuff like that to students, I, in my mind and in my heart, I'm thinking about the love of Jesus that he gives to me and how, 
and how that's really what matters, you know? A grade on your test when you're a sophomore in high school is not what matters. And if you allow that to like destroy your, your life, you know, it is such a joy to communicate God's love to students like that. I just, I just love it. Another student, another student that I have, he has a sibling who's in, who's in prison right now and has been in prison since early summer. Uh, his sibling is 12. It's juvenile detention. Um, parents are split up. I think there's some drug and alcohol abuse at the home. He transferred from a different school because um, the school that he was at was not a good fit for him socially, making some poor choices, I think. Travels 90 minutes on a bus one way to school every day. Um, trying out for the basketball team. Left his gear at home. Mom wouldn't bring the stuff to school, so he had to travel 90 minutes right after school, 90 minutes back, made it just in time for tryouts. This kid is a great kid, and it is an absolute joy to tell him how great he is. It's an absolute joy to support them, and this is what it means to come here to this sanctuary and hear about a God who sets us free, and then to go out in our lives and embody that message. Like, this is what it means. And I know that you all know that. I know that you do, because I know that good things are taught at this church, and I know that you guys go to your places of, of work. And you go out into your communities. You go to your homes, by the way, which is sometimes the hardest place to be a salt and light. And you embody the teachings of Jesus Christ because it has changed you, and you know that it has a power to change everyone else. I mean, this is the conviction of people who are salt and light. It seems that Jesus' plan is to convert his followers into true citizens of the heavenly kingdom and then disperse them, spread them all over his creation in order to redeem it. And that's exactly what, what Jesus is saying that you and I are. We are salt and we are light. Another point that came to mind is that salt and light enhance others. Like you, you don't, uh, you, you wouldn't like eat a really good meal and think to yourself like, wow, the salt was just perfect in that. Aren't, aren't you tasting other flavors like cumin and garlic and onions and I don't know what you like to, I don't know what you like, the, chi the chicken or like I'm trying to think of other ingredients, but aren't you tasting the flavors? What does salt do? Salt enhances the natural flavors and properties of, of a meal, right? And the same with light. Don't you, would you ever come into a room and that, I mean, would you ever go to a museum and see a painting like, and think to yourself, gosh, that painting was just so well lit. <laughs> like, isn't it true that salt and light enhance the natural properties and qualities of other people? Part of being a Christian is being other-centered and being oriented towards other people. Would you mind if I read another scripture to you? Let me read from Philippians chapter two. L listen to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter two. He says this. We have that screen here, yeah. He says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship from the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, 
being one in spirit and purpose. And here's the central verse, verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is amazing. In a world where we promote uh, equality above almost anything else, what does the scripture say to the Christian? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others what? Better than yourselves. Salt and light enhances the value of others, enhances the natural properties. You should each not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Amazing, amazing words in the scripture. Look at, look at Romans chapter 12, verse three. It says this, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Christian, salt and light is about enhancing the lives of other people. Salt and light is about bringing interest and attention to people other than ourselves. And, and I don't know, I mean, I'm not trying to comment on our culture right now, but like, isn't it true that we sort of, we're sort of into ourselves these days? We're sort of feeling ourselves, like we, we love us. And the Christian is called to be salt and light. My son, my, my oldest son is, is a great kid, but he is like the shyest kid you'll ever meet. He's very, very shy. And he had a crush on a girl. And so he was like, Dad, what should I do? Oh, <laughs> make cookies. <laughs> Let me show you a teaspoons and tablespoons though, son. Trust me, this is going to work really well. Um, that's hilarious. Thank you. Um, no, so he was like, Dad, what should I do? And I said, well, you know, you know what you should do? Actually, I, I, took a, I took these verses Actually, these verses from the scripture. I was like, man, you know, you know what people love more than anything else? And he was like, what? I said, themselves. They love themselves. You know what people, people's favorite word in the whole world? It's their own name. So I said, if you want to be able to get to know this girl, all you have to do is just ask her questions about herself and play this, I said, play, the, play this game with her. See if you can get her to talk more than you talk. How can I do that? Well, just ask questions. What questions should I ask, Dad? And I go, there, well, you're going to have to like, let the conversation naturally lead. He's like, I can't do that. I'm like, all right, I'm good. You're in middle school. You don't need, you don't need this yet. Um, but, but, but it's, it's so true, you know, as Christians, salt and light, we're called to enhance the, the natural property, be interested, but consider others better than ourselves. These are, these are big words, you know. Um, putting this into practice could be our sole life mission. Putting this into practice, you know, considering uh, being other-centered could be our whole life mission. Christians as salt and light, we're to enhance others. And finally, I want to end on this last point, which I think is uh, really, for me, it's very moving and very freeing and very helpful. I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about the actual, it's weird, but I want to talk about the structure of the Sermon on the Mount, the order, particularly. Do you notice that God is a God of order? Read the first two chapters of Genesis, and what we see is chaos and disorder, and um, yeah, chaos, and the Lord speaks order into chaos, 
In fact, I had one friend describe sin as being an impulse towards disorder, away from God's order. Um, It's a really interesting way of thinking about what sin is. But God is a God of order. So therefore, the order of the Sermon on the Mount, I actually think matters. I think it actually matters that he opens with the Beatitudes, and that leads directly into the salt and light. And the question is, why? Why why does the order, what does the order tell us um, about the Sermon on the Mount? What can we take away? Well, think about this. He opens with the Beatitudes, which is a massive paradigm-shifting, worldview-challenging message that the people that all of natural life says are actually cursed and have a terrible life, God says that they are happy or blessed. And if you're listening to someone give that message, wouldn't you be like, wow, everything in my life says that what you're saying is not true. But Jesus is like, it's totally true that the mourners and the meek and the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, these are people who are peacemakers. These are the people who are happy and blessed. And you're like, okay, this is a hard message, but maybe let's say you're in the crowd and you say, okay, I accept that. What is the next thing Jesus says? He says, you're the salt and you're the light. Now go tell everybody this cool message that I just gave. Now, I'm teaching, I'm in the middle of the hardest unit of my entire econ class right now. I'm teaching my kids about supply and demand. You remember probably? Yes, okay. Um, Supply and demand. Okay, so I'm introducing demand curves, and I'm talking about how to graph demand curves, and then I'm introducing determinants of demand. The determinants of demand cause the supply curve or the demand curve to shift to the left or shift to the right, and I'm telling all these scenarios about why curves move and how they move, and Tomorrow, I'm going to tell them about supply curves. That's when their brain's really going to melt out of their face. And when I teach this stuff, the kids are like, what? This is really hard. Now, I would never in a million years teach my first period about this really difficult conceptual idea of demand curves and shifting demand curves and then ask them if they would please be the teachers of my second period class. Now, will you teach my second period classes? That would be a recipe for... (laughs) A nightmare scenario, okay? Now, this is exactly what God does. This is exactly what Jesus does. He introduces this concept that is paradigm shifting and against every natural impulse that we have. And then he says, now go be salt and light. Okay, so why is this significant? To me, this is significant because sometimes I think to myself, I have to understand this perfectly before I can embody or be an example of it. And Jesus here is giving you permission. You can be salt and light even when you don't fully understand what the Lord is up to. You can be salt and light even if you don't get every single little verse in this thing. If you've read this thing and you think to yourself, I don't understand this really fully, how can I really go out and embody the teachings of Jesus if I don't really even get like all of what he's saying? Here he's giving you permission to be salt and light even though it's, it's counter to our natural instincts and it challenges our worldview and we haven't even fully been converted to that view yet, you know? Like, don't you think there are some people that heard about the Beatitudes and you're like, gosh, that sounds really good, but how could it be true? And Jesus still says, you're the salt and the light. And the same is true in our lives, that as 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 we are pulled to follow the Lord and the Lord's doing cool things in us, they're not yet complete, perhaps. We can still embody the salt and light of Jesus. It's so amazing to me. You know, there's a great example. I'll I'll, kind of close here with this example from uh, the Gospel of John. In John chapter 9, maybe you remember, Jesus heals, there's a guy who's blind from birth. Do you guys remember this story? And Jesus heals him. And when the Pharisees hear about it, the religious leaders, they they get really upset. They're, They're mad for some reason about this miracle. 
And, um, and they call this guy in. Do you guys remember this scene? And, and here, I'll even, I'll even read a few things. They call this guy in. This man is not from God. He, he does not keep the Sabbath, it says in verse 16. But others ask, how can a sinner do this? So the, they're debating about Jesus. Is he a sinner or is he, is he from God? So finally, they turn to the blind guy, the blind man, who was formerly blind, actually. They pulled him in. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that were opened. And I love this guy. This, by the way, this is really one of the funniest passages in all of Scripture, in my view. It's so funny. The guy, I, I would love to know the tone, but the man said, um, he's a prophet? I mean, I could just picture him later like, what do you have to say? This guy who was blind from birth, probably had a very challenging life. Jesus heals him. He's like, how did you get healed? And he's like, uh, he's, he's a prophet, I guess. Okay, so he says he's a prophet. So the Pharisees were really unhappy with that. So what'd they do? They called in his parents. They called in the parents and they said, is this person your son? And the parents were like, yes. Okay. <laughs> and then they said, was he really blind from birth? And they were like, yes. And then they asked the parents, how did this happen? And the parents' response is great. They said, uh, they, they said uh, in verse 23, he's of age, you know, you could ask him. Meaning they don't know either. They don't know. They don't want to answer because they're scared because these are the religious and legal authorities of the day. So what they do? They called this guy back again. They called this guy back again. The second time they summoned the man back. Give glory to God. They said, we know that that man is a sinner. And he replied, verse 25, I love this verse. Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Then he says in verse 27, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) Then they started hurling insults on him and kicked him out of church. (laughs) Classic. This story is amazing. Okay, think about this guy. He had a radical, life-changing encounter with the Lord. And um, this guy is the opposite of pretentious. They're like, how did you do this? You know, a pretentious person would be like, uh, actually, uh, well, he took, the, uh, uh, he took the holy water, and then he... Uh, okay, this guy's like, I don't know. The guy's like, I have no idea how he did this. And they kept pressuring him and pressuring him, and he said, all I know is that I met this guy, and he changed my whole life. And what does it mean to be salt and light? It doesn't mean that your life has to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you have to understand everything. It doesn't mean you have to have a deep theological, you have to know all the big theological words. It doesn't mean you have to know all the big doctrine. But it does mean that, you know, you have to have had an encounter with the Lord and through humility, you can be a representative of the kingdom of God. And you can say, I don't really know all the answers, but I do know this. I used to be blind and now I can see. I used to, you know, I used to be like this, and now I'm like this. And this guy, and this, this person who was healed by the Lord in John chapter 9 is a perfect example of, of, of salt and light. My point is, is the message of Jesus can be challenging, disorienting, humbling, confusing, and perhaps even seemingly impossible. In fact, if it isn't, perhaps some of you have some amazing revelations waiting for you about what it means to follow the complex creator God. 
And yet Jesus says, despite this, despite these challenges, despite this lack of, of full understanding, he says, you, you, you are salt and light. You embody my message. And that the way to a flourishing life is through the embrace of the kingdom of God. And, and in closing, I just want to say uh, uh, the impulse, we can invite the band to come up. The impulse of this whole message, I think, is captured in the final verse of our reading. Why? Why are you salt and light? Is it for your fame or recognition? Is it for uh, your personal growth or personal benefit? The closing verse from the passage we read said this, let your light shine so that good men, so that men will see your good deeds and they will praise your Father in heaven. It's all for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your scriptures which lead us to all truth. And we thank you for um, I don't know, we thank you for your complexity, I guess, your vastness, your depth, your riches, your richness. Um, you are uh, a massive Lord and you, you, are, you are so deep and rich. And our entire life is an experiment in growing in our understanding of you and your ways. And God, as we grow to understand your ways, we know that it's disorienting and challenging at times. And yet, you call us to be salt and light, representatives of your kingdom. Lord God, I pray for this church. I just ask that New Hope would be a resource center for people, Lord, that people could come and learn. And Lord, I pray for everyone here and everyone who's a part of this family that isn't here right now. I pray for openness to paradigm-shifting messages from the Lord. Messages that are challenging and disorienting. Messages that, um, messages from you, God, that are, that are humbling. And even messages that are difficult to accept. Perhaps even messages, Lord, that we, we're hesitant to accept or we, or, we, or we can't understand how that thing can be true. Those roadblocks and those obstacles. God, you are calling us to a life of growth, and some growth is easy, but you all you all know this is true. Some growth is really hard. And I thank you so much, Lord, that we don't have to know it all to be your representatives. We don't have to have everything perfect to be salt and light. Lord, may we be a church that holds others in higher view than ourselves. May we be a church that genuinely cares about other people. May we be a people who, who look to the interests of others. And in that way, we can, we, can, we can represent your kingdom by being salt and light. And I thank you for those things, Lord God. And we ask that we may all individually grow in those things. And we ask that we may, as a family and as a church body, also grow in those things as well. In your holy name, let's all say it together.